invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges, Judges uh, chapters 2 and 3, and we're going to be there, and we're also going to be in some uh, New Testament passages tonight. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I came tonight, and uh, I don't know if the sermon's going to be any good, but we've been inspired by a lot of other things uh, tonight, and uh, I'm just grateful for, uh, thanks Mark, grateful for what uh, we have heard tonight. It was a joy to uh, surprise Ben and to worship with him uh, last Sunday at Epic, and uh, he had no idea we were coming. Harris Malcolm was with me, who is Ben's father-in-law, and uh, one of his grandchildren was standing at the door as one of the greeters, and he saw his grandfather walking toward him, and he looked at him, and he looked at him again, and he's, you know, he's running in his little mind. That man sure looks like my papa, but he's not supposed to be here. And uh, so it was uh, great to surprise them and to see uh, what God is doing by our investment in a church plant. And uh, I, I think he's going to do some great things. Uh, this Thursday night, uh, Terry and I will have the privilege of uh, having uh, dinner with Tolly and his wife uh, in Washington, D.C., and just taking them out and finding out how they're doing and how we can pray for them more. And then uh, sometime, hopefully before the end of the year, I'm uh, going to make a trip to Cleveland just to check on Zach and our church plant there. Uh, we have not had a team in Cleveland, although we've been supporting uh, that church, and I don't want uh, Zach to feel like he's the guy that got left out. So uh, we're going to go and just make sure things are going well there in that work. I want to talk to you tonight about when a nation forgets God. You'll see in your notes a statement that I wrote out because uh, for time I'm not going to read it all. But I want to read the first paragraph of it. Any study of history must take into account not only the major events, but of the cumulative effect of those choices and events. On the surface, they may seem incidental, but seen in the light of the big picture and the flow of history, they are not random Alexander Solzhenitsyn was asked why Russia turned to communism and allowed Stalin to kill 60 million of his own people. Solzhenitsyn said this, men forgot God. That is what happened. Men forgot God. In every monument, in every government building in Washington, D.C., there is a reminder that this nation was founded not on the Book of Mormon, not on the Koran, but on the Ten Commandments. While some people would choose to deny that and wish they could rub that out, which is etched in marble above the heads of our Supreme Court, it is still a reality. And unfortunately, we are a nation fast forgetting that, which means we can easily murder babies. We can just continue to go on with our lives when someone walks into a movie theater and shoots people and the people the next day want to know why the movie theater isn't open because they want to see the new Batman movie. How callous can we be about life? and the value of life. Judges chapter 3 and verse 7. Judges 3 and verse 7. 
And then I want you to look at Judges 21 and verse 25. Judges 3 and verse 7. And Judges 21, verse 25. Judges 3, 7. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, a verse that you're very familiar with. But this is the sad testimony of the times of the judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The residual effect of making bad decisions and not driving out the enemy and not standing with God. The residual effect was that God led them and allowed them to go into bondage because of one statement, they did not drive out the enemy. That's why I say our decisions have consequences. We may not see them in the moment, we may not see them immediately, but there is a ripple effect that happens when we make the wrong decisions. God had told them, don't make a covenant with the Canaanites. God had said, remove idolatry from the land, and they didn't do it. And so if you back up now to chapter 2 and verse 3, God asked a question. Why have you done this? Do you think God might want to ask the United States of America about the decisions that we've made over the past 50 or 60 years? Why have you done this? What were you thinking? Where did that bright idea come from? And every decision that has been made that's put us in the position that we're in today has been made in an environment of prayerlessness and made in an atmosphere in which the Word of God is no longer honored. And until we grasp that and see that those decisions which seem to be insignificant at the moment to the country at large, not to us as evangelicals and believers, but to the country at large, it seemed insignificant to take prayer out of the schools and to not let Bible clubs meet. But look at where we are today. There is rarely a place that you can go in a public school system and not see police officers walking the halls because of violence in our public schools. When I was going to school back in the dark ages before we had electricity, the biggest thing I got in trouble for was sticking gum under the desk. Now we're sticking guns under the desk. And we think that we're more enlightened. And what we've done is we've just endangered every child in America. John Hunter said, the awful truth of the reason why they had not driven out the inhabitants and destroyed their altars and their worship was simply this, they did not want to drive them out. Something in God's people wanted what they saw in the world, so it was that no one drove out anyone. God had made two promises. Judges chapter 2 and verse 1, I will never break my covenant with you. God had told them, I'm not going to break my covenant. God kept his covenant. God still has a covenant with Israel. 
Now, he has a covenant with the church. There's an old and a new covenant. God still has a covenant with Israel. Don't mess with Israel. You mess with Israel. You mess with their God, and their God is not one to be messed with. They may not acknowledge him, and they may not acknowledge his Messiah, but when God made a promise to Abraham, he didn't make a promise until a certain point. That promise is until Jesus shows back up. Not only did he make a promise, I will never break a covenant with you, he also said to them in verse 3, I will not drive out your enemies. I will not drive out your enemies. So basically, from the time of Joshua's death, anything that had been accomplished in driving out the enemies of the people of God had been done during the lifetime of Joshua. And after that, nothing significant happened in removing the enemies that were bringing them down socially, morally, and spiritually. Now, when they heard this, they, they wept and they cried, but I would submit to you that it's not in the Hebrew text, but I would submit to you that those were crocodile tears. They were sad that they had been caught and that God knew what they were doing, but they weren't sad enough to repent. Here's what happened to America at 9-11. On 9-11, we had grief and remorse but we did not repent. We did not repent. There's a difference between being sad and being sorry and having grief over an attack on our homeland and repenting because we have lived such a life that one of the reasons the Muslims hate us is because of the television shows that come out of the United States where sex and sexuality is flaunted and they say that is a decadent society that needs to be destroyed. We are providing them with the material that causes them to hate us by our actions and our liberties. Arthur Lewis said, true repentance must go beyond tears of sorrow and achieve a right about face, a turning of one's entire life from sin to a walk that pleases God. Now when it says, when Judges says, there arose a generation that did not know God, that statement is really more a statement of apathy than it is of ignorance. It's not that they didn't know God, they just didn't care that they knew God. Secondly, every generation has to face consequences. A nation that is once blessed by God and walks away in disobedience will end up like the book of Judges. And so I want to give you three or four principles here. First of all, the further removed we are from the cost of freedom, the more we take it for granted. There are very few people alive today who were adults when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. In fact, I would bet you what's left of my retirement fund that there are people in our school systems today in high school that have never even been told about Pearl Harbor. They don't know why we went to war. They don't understand the kind of man that Adolf Hitler was and why he needed to be defeated. They don't understand 
why people in our nation have done what they've done, why men have laid down their lives to defend the freedom of this land. They don't understand it. The further you get away from freedom, the more you take it for granted. Aaron's husband, Bill, has a son named Prosper who is 13 years old. Prosper said in the car three months ago that he has never had anybody teach him and tell him in school about 9-11. Now, how in the name of everything that cries for freedom can you take a 13-year-old boy into middle school and nobody has ever told him that planes hit towers, nothing, in the public school system? Everything he knows about it, he learned from family. How can we raise a generation that does not understand that freedom can never be taken for granted? Amen. Second thing, not only the further we get away from freedom, the more we take our freedom for granted, but secondly, the further we remove we are from revival, the more we tend to think it's something for another age or another time. In fact, we were in a meeting uh, not long ago. Stephen and I happened to be in a meeting not long ago. And we were talking about the fact that the word revival doesn't even relate to, the, to this generation. That, that is such an old world word, it seems out of date. Well, so is stop. But if you don't do it, you may be increasing your car insurance. Just because it's an old world word doesn't mean it's a concept that's out of date. And when we get away from revival, when we get away from an atmosphere of revival, we can begin to think that it's something for another age. Thirdly, the further we get from revival, the closer we are to apathy and apostasy. The closer we are to apathy and apostasy. We're seeing this in Europe now. Remember, Europe is the birthplace of the Reformation. It's where Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the wall. It's where John Knox told Mary Queen of Scots to repent. In fact, Mary Queen of Scots was so afraid of John Knox that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than any army. He would stand outside the gates of Holyrood Castle and scream to the top of his lungs for her to repent of her godless lifestyle. You won't find that in England and in Europe anymore. Most of the state churches have atheists and agnostics or people who are at best liberals who say those words written in the Bible were for, for another age and another time. But who would have ever thought that the church birthed in the heart and mind of John Wesley would ever approve of some of the things that the Methodist church approves of today? Who would have ever thought that the Presbyterians birthed in Calvinism would fight and debate and argue over same-sex marriage and gays ordained to the ministry. You see, the further away you get from God, the more apathy and apostasy and even resistance to truth begins to rise up in a denomination, in a country, in a culture. Who would have ever thought we would be at the place where we are today? Who would have thought that while very few churches are being built in England, mosques are being built 365 days out of the year? England is now considered by its percentages a non-reversible Muslim country. The Muslims have come to such a high percentage in England 
that it is very unlikely, apart from a revival and an awakening, that that country would turn back to the Christian faith. By the way, we're not that far because statistics say somewhere around 4% of a population becomes Muslim. It gets on a track that cannot be reversed. We are almost there today. Why? Because we forgot to tell people about the one true God. We forgot to show the discipline and the love and the grace and the mercy of God to people. We see it in Judges. Look at chapter 2 and verse 7. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord who had done, he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. Verse 10. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods. By the way, forsaking always leads to following something else. Among the gods of the people who were around them, and bowed themselves down to them, thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Asheroth, and the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went... The hand of the Lord was against them for evil. As the Lord had spoken, as the Lord had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked, in obeying the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do as their fathers. Chapter 3 and verse 4. They were for testing Israel. All these things that were going on were for testing Israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers through Moses. The sons of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, bunch of sites. And they took their daughters for themselves as wives. In other words, they intermarried with lost people and gave their own daughters to their sons. They gave their daughters away to lost people and served their gods. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. Now, the only difference between judges and us is it's going to be worse judgment for us because we live 2,000 years from the time of the cross and we live under grace and we live with the Holy Spirit abiding inside of us who teaches us, who pricks our hearts, who touches our conscience and says, that's wrong, don't do that, don't think that, don't go there, don't be a part of that, and we still do it. So the judgment will be more on us. They depended on judges who would come and go. We have a Holy Spirit who stays within us. We will be more accountable. The judgment on our land will be worse. 
Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 13. No, I tell you, turn to Revelation chapter 2. I'm just going to read you Luke 13 and verse 3. I tell you, no, Jesus said this twice in Luke 13, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Revelation 2 and verse 1. Revelation 2 and verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not, and you found them to be false. Here, now just, let's just stop right here before we go any further. Jesus says, as he examines this church in Ephesus, you folks hate evil. I know that. You hate what evil men do. And, and you test those TV preachers to see if they're preaching the word or if they're preaching a prosperity God, gospel or a feel-good gospel. I mean, you're checking preachers out to see if they're preaching God's truth or not. I know who you are. I know you. I, I know that you're discerning people. Verse 3, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Now, if you stopped right there, you'd say, man, I want to join that church. That's a good church. That's a church that stands up for what they believe in. But verse 4 is there. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Revelation 2.21, I gave her time to repent and she does not want to. The signs are obvious that we need to repent. There's lukewarmness in the church. There's a lack of passion in pulpits. There's a lack of first love. There's a compartmentalizing of faith and saying, what I do on Sunday has nothing to do with how I live the rest of the week. There's religion without righteousness, but I will say to you as best I understand the word of God, every one of us will stand accountable before God for what has happened when we could have done something differently. We have left our first love. God has something against people who leave their first love. He applauds the fact that we stand against evil. He applauds the fact that we test preachers and, and teachers to make sure they're teaching the Word of God. He applauds the fact that we persevere and endure, but he has a problem. Even people doing that can leave their first love. They can fall out of love with Jesus. God holds us accountable. God gave us the Holy Spirit, and we ought to be better than we are. Now, let me, let me just get real close to you here for a minute. This church is blessed with incredible Sunday school teachers. We're blessed with a prayer ministry. We're blessed with a missions emphasis. We're blessed to lead our association every year for the last 30 years in Missions giving, cooperative program giving, and in baptisms. But there are folks within this congregation that have left their first love. 
you know, you can go to a Christian school, you can go to Disciple Now, you can go to youth camp and kids camp, and, and you can go to ladies Bible study, and, and you can go to Master Life and still not have your first love. You know, you'd think we'd be better after 10 years of refresh. You'd think we'd hit a point where God would move in on us so much that we would just say one year, you know what? We're walking in revival. We don't need four-day conference on revival this year. But after 10 years, we're not there. You know, the people that aren't here tonight, I never preach to people that aren't here, but the people that aren't here tonight, you know, one day they loved Jesus enough that they were going to give their life to Jesus, and now they don't even think twice about missing on Sunday nights. They've left their first love. There was a time when Jesus seemed more real to you, more important to you, more precious to you. There was a time when prayer seemed more fragrant to you that you could just be in the presence of God but over time it's just become routine and that can happen to us in the church I mean we can just get to the point of just doing what we do because we know we're supposed to do it and not love each other happens in a marriage happens with your kids happens in a church in our relationship with the Lord let me ask you a question. Have you forgotten the first love that you had for God? The question used to go something like this. Has there ever been a time when you were closer to Jesus than you are now? Ever been a time when he seemed more real than he does now? When there was more joy than there is now? Are you waiting for some experience to get you jacked up and get you motivated and energized? You see, if I'm walking with God the way I'm supposed to walk with God, I don't have to come to church and wait for the band to play the song I like and Mark to encourage me to sing louder because I'm supposed to bring my worship and my love for God to church with me. I'm not supposed to have to have somebody help me get there. Because if the Holy Spirit is living inside of me, and if I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, worship should never be a problem for me. If it is, then I need to get to the altar and get my life straightened out. So let's look lastly at the consequences that have symptoms. And I want to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, because God examines the people and he shows them what's wrong. He shows them what they're worshiping. He shows them how they've denied him and forsaken him and turned to evil things. And people sometimes say, well, I just, you know, I just want to read the New Testament. I, I don't want to read the Old Testament. The Old Testament's got all those ites and all those names you can't pronounce and you kind of stumble over and you know, I want to get to the book where their names are Paul and Peter and John and Matthew, not, you know, Melchizedek, and i got to get a, somebody to help me pronounce that. And I'd just like to get past all that. Listen, everything in the Old Testament is there for a reason. Although the ceremonial laws and the sacrificial system do not apply to us 
because of the cross. The moral laws of the scripture apply to us. We learn from those ceremonial laws and those sacrificial laws and ceremonies because every one of them pointed to something Jesus would do for us. And it was a symbol. It was a sign until the Messiah showed up and would be the fulfillment of all of that in one person at one time. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, 6. Now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. Now these were God's people, but they craved evil things and they were idolaters. Look at verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Three times in Judges 2, verses 11 through 13, he talks about the transgression or the people. And, and Paul says in Corinthians, all the things that happened in the Old Testament, he's specifically talking about the wilderness, but in the broader picture, all of that happened for one reason, learn a lesson. Don't fall into those same traps. Don't make those same mistakes. They were worshiping the Canaanite gods, specifically Baal and Asheroth. Baal was the god of the storm, responsible for crops and rain. Probably got some people worshiping Baal right now with the drought in the Midwest. Asheroth was a goddess of war and fertility. Now here's the problem, not only that they were worshiping the god of the storm and rain, and where does rain come from? <laughs> comes from our god. Elijah prayed to our God and stopped rain for three and a half years. Noah preached judgment and a coming judgment, and nobody had ever seen rain, but it rained until the whole earth was covered with it. Rain comes from God. Not raining comes from God. And they're worshiping this God of the storm and the God of rain and the goddess of fertility and the goddess of war. The problem with those is both of those, like the Greek gods and the Roman gods, both of those taught that if you worship that God, you in sense become a God yourself. So rather than worshiping the one true God, the only God, Jehovah God, they were worshiping gods that were telling them you can be a God. By the way, there's a lot of that on television today. Telling you you can be a God. You can be like a God. You can be anything you want to be. You can be lost. That's what you are and you need to be saved. And so what can lead a God-fearing people to worship idols and act like pagans. Number one, being content with the status quo. Being content with the status quo. We're closer to, to finish than you think. Remember what God said to them in Deuteronomy? You, you ever thought that God might know more than we know? Remember what he said to them in Deuteronomy? He said, now when you get in that land and you've got vineyards that you did not plant and houses that you did not build and you start occupying all this stuff, you better remember me lest you forget. And guess what? They forgot. What did God tell them to do? Don't forget. They forgot. They, they, they didn't forget because they'd gotten old and they tend to forget more. They forgot because they chose to forget. They just chose to do it. They, they just started deciding that, you know, 
It was the government that helped them get all that. Not God. When you start taking things for granted, folks, I don't want to ever take for granted the blessings that God has given me. I mean, I, I got a chance to play two incredible golf courses this week. You'll forgive me for it, but I got a chance to do it. I played lousy, but I bet if we said it one time, we said it 50 times between us. We'd look out over the Pacific Ocean. Here I am in July. It's 65 degrees. There's a breeze. There are no gnats. And I'm thinking Ben needs a co-pastor. And we looked out at the majesty of that landscape. And there's only one thing, if you've got any sense, based on Romans 1, you can say when you look at that, there has to be a creator. Man may have created the greens at Pebble Beach, but God created the platform on which to build them. Amen. And when I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning with sea lions, oh, 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 for three hours in my ear. You know what those sea lions were doing? They were singing the song that God put in their hearts. And they were a witness to me while I was trying to sleep that all creatures of our God and King give him praise. Don't take that for granted. You can't take it for granted. Secondly, Taking God's blessings for granted. Taking God's blessings for granted. I don't have to park there long. You, you know what that means. But thirdly, you get there when you neglect the Word of God. There's a reason why we're going to read out loud the entire Scriptures, the week of refresh, it's because we don't want to forget the Word of God. Revival is always birthed in prayer and in the Word. And while some of you will be in here praying, others will be at this platform reading the Word of God out loud. Can you imagine what delight it must bring to God to hear the sacred words, the inspired and errant words that He revealed to men over hundreds of years and 30 different authors? Can you imagine what it must be like to him that we would pause and take time to read every word of the written word which reveals to us the living word who is the Son of God. And when we get to that Sunday morning of refresh, I'll read the last chapter of the book of Revelation with even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. In 1963, John Gardner, in a book called Self-Renewal, said the renewal of societies and organizations can go forward only if someone cares. Apathy and lowered motivation are the most widely noted characteristics of a civilization on the downward path. Apathetic men accomplish nothing. Men who believe in nothing change nothing for the better. They renew nothing and heal no one, least of all themselves. If we falter, it will be a failure of heart and spirit. Judges 2, 21, 
I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. I want to ask you to pray with me, please. And heads are bowed and eyes are closed. What is it that God is not driving out today? You see, if there's some issue in your life or in my life, some crisis, some problem that God is not driving out, it is for the very same reason that he says in Judges, in order to test us by them, whether we will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as our fathers did or not. And so God allows, or he orchestrates, an economic crisis to teach us that you can't love God and money. He allows or orchestrates a job loss to teach us that life is not in what we do, but in who God is. He allows or orchestrates a personal crisis to teach us that we cannot fix our own problems. He allows or orchestrates a family crisis to remind us that he is to be the head of our home. He allows or orchestrates a health crisis to remind us that our lives are in his hands. He allows or orchestrates a national crisis to remind us that God raises up and tears down nations. He allows or orchestrates a housing crisis to remind us that this world is not our home. And he allows and orchestrates a banking crisis to remind us that the love of money is the root of all evil. What crisis does God have to allow in your life and in my life so that we don't forget him. What test is he putting you through right now? What's he putting me through right now to, to test us to see if we're going to follow him or chase after the world's answers to our problems? What's he saying to you right now? In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand and if there's something that you need to come to this altar and pray about, then I want to encourage you to do that. We have some folks, a number of folks that we're going to present tonight that are new members of this family. And so I'll ask you if you're going to be presented tonight to go to my left and your right, and uh, we'll present you in just a few moments. But I think we need to spend just a few moments tonight before we present our new members to take our crisis to the altar. And say to God, God, I'm through trying to fix the crisis of my life in my terms. I'm trusting you. I don't want to forget that you're the Lord of my life and you're the Lord of my crisis. Don't let me forget it. 
Don't let me be flippant about it. Don't let me be casual about what you're taking me through. Let me learn what I need to learn so that I do not forget you. You know, the only reason the nation forgets God is because individuals forget God. And if we forget God, God will orchestrate a crisis to get our attention. So I'm going to ask you to stand quietly to your feet in an attitude of prayer. Some are already at the altar. You may need to come from where you are. You've got time to come down here and to pray. We'll have some folks pray around you and pray over you. I'm going to ask our staff and staff wives and others to just come and gather around these that are here kneeling and praying and just pray for them that God would meet them at the point of their need. And as others are gathering to be presented in just a few moments, would you just ask God to not forget us, to remember us when he has every right to forget us? Would you ask him to remember us and to show grace toward us? that we could once again be a church, a nation of people that are a blessing to this world. That we would rise to the moment on the wings of prayer. We would find ourselves lifted up by the Holy Spirit to be the instruments of God to touch lives and to call people back to Jesus.